Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. Hey, good morning. (laughs) How many of us are like this song? Where we're going through all the emotions of ups and downs and feeling alone and not knowing that all this time Jesus is right there saying, turn around, around, right? We get stuck in this thing where we are constantly looking towards other things to help us rather than to the one who can actually help. And all along, he's right here saying, turn around, right? He loves you. He knows where you're headed and he doesn't want to see you hurting, he knows what's best for you, and, so, and he so wants a relationship with you, and so he's constantly asking you to turn around. And just like this song, we too cry out saying, and I need you more tonight. <laughs> Particularly tonight, right? When it's dark. And in in our dark moments, that's when we turn to God, right? And I need you more than ever. Come on, anybody else ever cry that out? Just me? (laughs) Come on. Come with me (laughs) in this journey. Come with me in this journey, please. (laughs) Come on. And I think deep down inside, we truly know that if he would only hold us tight, then we'll be holding on forever. And we'll only be making it right because we'll never be wrong together. Come on, amen? Amen? I think deep down inside, we know these things. We know these things, but we never really fully turn around. We may give him one of those over-the-shoulder type looks at him while we're still facing and going in the opposite direction, but we never fully turn around. And, I've, and when I think of this, I think of the scripture in John 5, 39 through 40, where it says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you'll have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. What are these? He's talking about the scriptures. These are they that testify or reveal me. But you are not willing to come to me or to turn to me so that you may have Life, right? And I think this is where, where we get hung up on. We think that because we come to church once a week on a Sunday, spend two hours here at church, three hours, and sometimes we may open up our Bibles during the week, we think that we have a relationship with him. And then we wonder why things in our lives aren't changing, why we can't hear the voice of God. Why is God not changing my family? Why is God not coming through? Because we often just get caught up in this whole thing of just going through the motions, and God is saying, I don't want you to just go through the motions. I want you to have life. Amen? And if I'm being real, these are the hard questions that we need to be truly asking ourselves. If you really look at your life and how you live, how is it any different than it is the way that you than it is the way than that? How is it any different than it is the way that you be, before you became a Christian? Right? 
The Bible is clear in Mark 2, 22. It says, you cannot pour new wine into old wine skin or else it'll burst. Why? Because it can't handle it. He can't pour into you your old self because he knows that your old self can't handle his presence. And it'll burst because you are not ready. So it'll actually be dangerous for him to give you more. So it's out of the goodness of God that he would actually withhold measures of his presence until you and I are ready. It'll actually be dangerous for him to give you more if you are not ready. For an example, look at David in the Bible. David was to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, back to Jerusalem. And so he put the Ark on a cart, and then when the cart stumbled... There was this man by the name of Uzzah who tried to reach out and try to catch and steady the ark. And as soon as he touched it, he was struck dead. And David is like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you, why would you allow this guy to die? He was just trying to catch the presence. And God is basically saying, because, David, my presence, you don't handle your way. You don't handle your way. If you're going to handle my presence, go back and read and how to handle it. And so when David read and he saw that the priests are the only ones who are supposed to carry it, and it shouldn't be on a cart and all this stuff, and David says, okay, I got it wrong. But you see, when you handle the presence the wrong way, somebody could get hurt. Amen? So it'll actually be dangerous for him to give you more until you're ready. And maybe the reason why some of us are not tasting anything new is we haven't provided a new skin for him to pour it into. Think about it. Outside of of your Sunday experience, how has your life actually been considered a new wine skin to contain the wine of this new day? The new wine skin is that every single one of you would take your place in the body as one as one and begin to use the gifts of the spirit that God has already put on the inside of you that causes the edification or the improvement of the whole body, which means that we all come together and get to be part of it. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says in Ephesians four, that when that happens, then we all come into this unity together of faith, the fullness stature of Christ, which is the body, right? And we become one perfect man, the body. And I feel like this is what God said to me. He said, if we're going to find the one man, then you're going to have to stop watching one man. It's not about you just coming here, hearing a word from one man up here. Pastor Tony, me, Anybody else who's up here preaching, it's not about you coming here to hear a word from one man and then going back to your old self the other six days out of the week. That's an Old Testament pattern that we are no longer living in called the Moses Show. I'm here to tell you that the Moses Show is over. The Moses Show was one man goes into the presence of God on our behalf because at that time we couldn't. It was one man goes into the presence of God on our behalf and then he comes down and and then he declares to you and I what God is saying. 
And what I'm saying to you is that Jesus came and paid too high of a price, ripped the veil that made that old system in the Old Testament work. He paid too high of a price that, that, that you wouldn't have to stay in that old system and that we could be forever with him. Right? And he comes out of the Holy of Holies and now calls each and every single one of you in this room his new Holy of Holies. And so now it's not just one tabernacle. It's not just one place. Now we're all tabernacles of God. We are all, Ephesians 2 talks about us being living stones. We're, bring, we're being brought together to become a habitation or dwelling place for God in the Spirit. We are a dwelling place for God in the spirit, which means God is in you. It's not just one place. It's not a building. It's not one place. It's you. You are now a dwelling place for God in Christ, right? In spirit, right? And so I feel such a weight for us to come into this new day and become this new wineskin. And the only way that that can happen is by you taking your place inside the finished work of Jesus Christ as an identity of a son and a daughter who is absolutely loved by the Father. Come on. God doesn't want a handful in this room to step into the new day. He wants every single one of you to step into this new day. That's the goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's why I'm here with Pastor Tony. That's why I'm here with Pastor I'm not here because I needed an opportunity for, for, for ministry. I wasn't even looking for ministry. I'm here. Pastor Tony, is he perfect? No. Does he have flaws? Yes. Does Pastor Tony and I agree on everything? Absolutely not. But I'm here to tell you that if you want to be accepted by the world system, you probably shouldn't be here. You probably shouldn't be here because I know what this man stands for. I know what this man stands for. He's not afraid to stand up for kingdom truth. Amen? He's not afraid to stand up to the world and the culture and what it has to say. I've seen this man take a beating spiritually, but I'm here to tell you that you should see the other guy. (laughs) The devil, he's an ugly man. Come on. I've seen this man stand up to the world and the culture when the world and the culture is telling us to sit down. Think about it. Through all that's been going on in this world today, all the controversy with COVID, abortion, politics, LBGTQ, BLM, and all the other ABCs, come on, (laughs) right? And all the other agendas that's being pushed today, I see this man's agenda for this church has never changed. It's always been one agenda. That's it. And that's why I'm with this man. Not because he has nice hair. (laughs) Not because he has nice hair. But because when the rest of the world is telling the church to shut your mouth, he's saying, no, we won't. Amen? And Pastor Tony, I just want to say I appreciate you and honor you for leading us through all that's been going on in this world. Amen? Church. It's time for you to take your place 
inside the finished work of Christ as a son and a daughter who is absolutely loved by the Father. I believe we know this truth deep down inside, but we don't really tap into it, we don't really step into it, and we don't really believe it, and I think it's because it's an issue of self-love. How many of you have, have ever heard that saying, it's not you, it's me? Right? It's typically used to end a relationship with the least amount of discord or conflicts and to avoid the main issue. So when it's said, it's not you, it's me, what's really being said is, it's not really me. I just don't want to keep talking about it. Right? (laughs) But what if it is? What if it is? What if the main issue is you? What if the main issue is you loving you? What if the main issue is you believing that you can't be loved? What if the main issue is self-love? It's an issue of relationship and identity. In other words, it is an issue of self-love. We don't love ourselves. Therefore, how could he love me? How could he love me? And so we don't believe it. We don't accept it. And it's the reason why it's hard for us to turn around. No, God, you can't see me like this. This is the fallacy of hiding things from God. When God says to Adam, Adam, where are you? I want to let you know that he wasn't having a hard time trying to find Adam. Oh, you're behind the bushes. My bad. I didn't look there. Right? (laughs) No. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Because you used to not hide from me. Yeah, but I'm a sinner now, and you can't look on sin. Who told you that? I'm looking for sin right now, Adam. Where are you? He wasn't looking for the Adam before he sinned. He was looking for the Adam after he sinned because God always comes looking for sin. Amen? Well, I thought the Bible says, I thought the Bible says that God can't look on sin. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God can't look on sin favorably. That means that there's a blessing that he'd like to get to you, that, that, that if he gets it to you while you are there, you're never going to understand who you really are. It's the goodness of God that he withholds measures of his presence until you know who you are. I hope you're getting this. Come on. But can I tell you, he loves you. He loves you. And in fact, I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to tell you that he loves you with the same measure that he has for his beloved son, Jesus. Mind-blowing, right? How could he love me like that? But it's an issue of self-love and beloved identity. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, amen? We need to tap into him because in John 16, 13, it says that the spirit will guide you into all truth and bringing you back to truth, bringing you back to your identity on who you really are, which I think is what is what we also desperately need a lot more than what we think. In fact, that's exactly what he was doing to me as I was preparing this message. He was bringing me into truth. All throughout the Bible, there's this one story that I never understood. And because I could never understand it, it's one story in the Bible that I never agreed with. I never agreed with it. And it's actually one scenario in the Bible that I actually hated. And I know you're thinking, wow, I hate, man. That's a a strong word, especially when you're thinking about the Bible. 
And I'm being real. I would cringe every time I heard this story. This is the story of Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac. This is one story I could not stand. And I think it's one that bothered me so much because I identify with Ishmael. I grew up without a father. My dad left before I was even born, so he abandoned me. And when I finally did meet him for the first time in my early 20s, he blatantly said to me, yeah, I didn't want you. Corey, you were a mistake. That's what he said. You were a mistake. I didn't want you. And when I still tried to reconcile with him, he still said, no, I don't want a relationship with you. I have a family already. This is my family. So I can relate to Ishmael feeling like a mistake, abandoning him, and loving another family. So I never did like this story because I was Ishmael. I was Ishmael. And I could never understand why a good God would tell his father to abandon his son. Never could understand it. And as I was going through this message of self-love, God told me to go back and read that story. but I did. (laughs) Reluctantly, I did. And as I'm reading it, I'm reading it with anger. I couldn't get myself out of it. I'm reading it from me. And as I'm doing it, my mind hasn't changed. And I'm like, yep, story didn't change. Man still abandoned his son. Why you have me in this? And so I'd close it up and I'd go to sleep mad. Ask Nisa. I was, I was poopy for a while while God was had me in this. I was. But he kept me in it, and I feel like he said, listen, you are reading it from your experience. Go back and take yourself out of it. And I'm not going to lie. It took a while for me to do it. As I kept reading it, I couldn't, kick, I couldn't take myself out of it. So I was poopy for a while. But as I was able to get out of the way... The spirit was then able to come and guide me into truth, and I was able to see what Ishmael and Isaac actually represent, and that's what I want to share with you guys this morning. For those of you guys that don't know the story, I'm just going to kind of speed through this here real quick. I'll give you a quick little backdrop. God promised Abraham that he would have a son, but as time went on, both him and his wife Sarah got old. And in Genesis 16, 1 through 2, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave slave named Hagar. Key word there, slave. Keep that in mind. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah had said. So what's happening here? What's going on? They had a disbelief that it was going to happen. And so they did it their own way. They did it their own way out of self-effort. So he slept with Hagar, and she conceived a son, and they named him Ishmael. Ishmael was conceived out of self-effort. Okay? Later on in Genesis 21, we learn that God made good on his promise, and Sarah became pregnant, and they called him Isaac. Let's jump ahead now in Galatians. We'll go to Galatians 4, and we'll start at verse 21, and this is where it talks about what the, what the people represent. Stay with me as we try to break this down here. It's a lot of scripture, but just stay with me here. Verse 21, 
Tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons, one by the, which is who? Hagar, and the other by the, which is Sarah. Verse 23, Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was born of the natural realm, right? In the world, the self, flesh, self-effort. They did it on their own. But Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. These two women and their sons express an allegory. An allegory is a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden message. And so these two women and their sons express an allegory that, that, that becomes symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai, birthing children in to slavery, children born to Hagar, for Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly, the world, right? Earthly, the world, Jerusalem of today, who are currently in bondage. Come on. Verse 26, in contrast, there is a heavenly in heaven, Jerusalem above us, which is our true mother, our true mother, true self, where we come from, right? She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. Okay, stop right there. Hagar represents the law, okay? Birthing children into slavery, which represent bondage and stuck, right? Here in this world, Hagar equals the law, religious rules, slavery, bondage. Her offspring, Ishmael, represents what? self-effort in the natural realm, okay? Sarah represents the free woman, spirit. That was the promise, right, that God gave to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac, who is Sarah's offspring now, is the promise in the spirit realm, okay? You guys following me so far? So let's keep reading here. Verse 28, dear friends, just like Isaac, we, we, us, are now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises, and just like the son of the just like the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. This is where you are constantly wrestle, wrestling within yourself. The world in the natural, self-effort, Ishmael in the natural is constantly harassing the spirit, Isaac, and tries to get us to think that we're less than, unworthy, and that we gotta do this, and we gotta do that, and we gotta do the, 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 the religious rules, right? That, and so we don't measure up. And in verse 30, and what does the scripture tell us to do? Expel. The slave mother and her son, the son of the slave woman, will not be the true heir, for the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. It's now so obvious we're, uh, it's now so obvious we're not the children, we are not the children of the slave woman, okay? We are not Ishmael, you are not Ishmael. You are not Ishmael. We are the supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. What are we to do? Get rid of the law, religious rituals that tell us that we don't measure up. And to get rid of her offspring, self-effort, of us trying to get into heaven. Of us trying to do it so that we can be free. 
Amen? So in order for us to step into who we really are, or I should say who we truly are, because it's our true self, then just like Abraham and Sarah were commanded to expel Hagar and her offspring, Ishmael, we have to expel, get rid of the law, Hagar and her offspring, self-effort. Are you guys following me? And so, we can, so that we can be our true promised self, Isaac, he was the promise of God, so that we could be our true promised self. And remember, what we were talking about earlier is the goodness of God that he would withhold measures of his presence until you and I are ready. So there is a measure of spirit life that is inaccessible as long as you and I keep Ishmael around. Because as long as you and I keep Ishmael around, then it's always us, self-effort doing it. Our performance and not allowing the freedom of the Holy Spirit to come and just do it. But this is where we have trouble. Because we have the hardest time imaging Holy Spirit, we spend the least amount of time interacting with him. Oftentimes we think that it's the Holy Spirit who makes you look all crazy, start speaking a different language, start, you become bilingual, <laughs> all this stuff, make you look goofy, making you look out of control. But it's not about you living out of any control. It's about you living out of your own control, self-effort, Ishmael. I'm talking about you being out of control while being absolutely under perfect control. Jesus thought that the Holy Spirit was so important that he even told the disciples, you guys are going to weep and cry that I'm gone out of self-effort, out of your emotions, but it's actually to your benefit because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to reveal things to you about me that nobody else has ever experienced about me before. Come on, anybody else want that kind of experience? If you want that kind of experience, then let's keep moving on to Galatians chapter 5. Start at verse 6. When you are joined to the anointed one, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. Religious obligations, the law, can benefit you nothing. That's Hagar. Hagar can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. This is important. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Living in the faith which is activated by what? Okay, so maybe the faith that we have has failed to bring about the results that we actually have faith for because we've missed the connection to what was designed to activate it, which is love. Faith worketh by love. That's how faith works. It works by love, meaning faith can't get engaged until love is added. In chemistry, this is what we call a catalyst. It's not something that changes a chemical equation. It's something that activates it. Okay? So a catalyst is something added to ingredients that already exist. The ingredients is already there. It already exists in order to bring about an activation. So love is the catalyst that takes faith to a place 
of action, right? So here we are in the arena of faith, right? Try to do this. Here we are in the arena of faith, okay? These are things that you are having faith for or things that you are having hope for, right? In faith. You are hoping for these things in faith. Okay? These are things like relationships. Come on. Where are my single people at? <laughs> these are things that you're having hope for. Okay? Relationships. This is volumizer. <laughs> Some beauty stuff. I'm married, so I don't need this anymore, but this is the faith, right? <laughs> right? So, faith, I'll put it here. All right? Things that you're also having faith for. How about joy? Anybody else having faith for joy? Come on. Anybody need some joy in their life? Amen? Okay. Also, how about a career? Anybody else hoping for a job breakthrough? Huh? So, these are all ingredients of faith. Right? So you have faith for these things, but you're not seeing them come to pass. Okay? Not activated yet. Right? Because what does it take to activate faith? Love. Right? Love is the catalyst. That's missing the activation part of it. Right? And so, Genesis 5, 6, all that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. And so when love activates, comes in, and has the faith, that did not work. <laughs> I can't do it again. And I'm all out. <laughs> I'm totally out. Anyways. No, it's fine. Anyway, so what was... <laughs> What was supposed to happen is the catalyst, love, was supposed to activate the ingredients of faith, and this was supposed to come up and burst out and then overflow with love. I don't know why it didn't happen. It's probably the hair stuff. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Fail. No, that's fine, though. But, 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 but do you guys understand what I'm saying, though? You have the ingredients. The ingredients in the faith arena is not what activates it. What activates it is love, just like what it says in the Scripture. And so when you begin to receive and accept that you are loved, beloved identity, things that you have longed for in the arena of faith are now all of a sudden begin to get activated, Okay? And so there's some things in us that are, that, that are about to get activated by love, and to get activated by love when you become convinced of the Holy Spirit who guides us into truth that we have the righteousness of the anointed one. Verse number seven, before you were led astray by the law and self-effort, you were so faithful, faithful, full of faith, full of love, 
Who has deceived you so that you have turned from what is right? Just like what the intro song was, right? You turn from Jesus what is right. Jesus is right, but you turn from him, right? You don't turn around. And in verse 8, this is why, uh, verse eight, this is why we can't believe that we're loved. Because in verse 8, it says, The one who enfolded you into his grace is not behind this false teaching that you have embraced. You have embraced this false teaching, Okay? Don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it can permeate your entire belief system? And ultimately, if you allow a little lie in, that little lie doesn't just stay there in a little compartment called a little lie. That little lie is, per, is, is pervasive, and it begins to permeate, begins to spread into every aspect of your belief system. That's what that's saying. And it clouds your judgment about the perception of the nature of God. This is why we have a trouble believing that he's a good God. This clouds our judgment of the true nature of God, that he's a good God. And this clouds our judgment to believe that he could actually love me. Because we've allowed a little lie into our hearts. And that little lie, it was pervasive and it spread into all of our belief system. This is where we get the perspective that God is an angry God and he's controlling. But if you can change the way that you think about the nature of God, it will change the way that you perceive about everything else around you. Verse 13, beloved ones, that's us. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom. Like Isaac, right? Like I was saying earlier, stop, we, we, we got to stop trying to figure out what it is that, that, that you are called to do. Stop trying to figure out what it is that you are called to do because it tells you right here that you are called to live a life of freedom, so just step into it. And I guarantee you that if you just walk in, you just step into what God is doing, you, wh whatever it is that you're called to do is just going to naturally occur. You're going you're gonna to naturally step into what it is that you're called to do. We just got to step into what God is doing. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse or, 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 or as an excuse to set up base of operations in the natural realm, okay? Basically saying, don't use freedom as an excuse to live in sin. And if you stop right there, you'll think, well, that's what freedom is. It's grace. It's, it's, it, grace is a license to live in sin. No. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self of self-indulgence, your sin nature, your flesh, that we become servants of one another. Just like the next part, constantly love each other and be committed to serve one another. Verse 14, for love completes the laws of God. All the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. All of the laws, say all. All, all of the laws can be summarized in one, say one. All can be summarized in one, and this is the one. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. Here it is. What then has been the issue of our failures to activate love for others? It's an issue of self-love. Believing that you are loved. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. You have to believe that you are loved. Amen? Yeah. Listen, you are loved. I want you to say that. Say, I am loved. I am loved. 
I am loved. I am loved. You need to get that in you because it is contrary. It is contrary, contrary to God to have an opinion of myself that is inconsistent with the opinion that the Father has of me. I cannot say that God is God and disagree with the perspective that he has of me. That would then make me God. How God feels about me is how I really am. But I cannot experience the breakthrough that produces if I continue to tell God how I feel about me is inconsistent with how he feels about me. If God loves me with the same nature and measure that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, and I don't have that same love for me that agrees with God's love for me, then God is not my God. I am my God because I have allowed my perspective to, uh, of myself to override his perspective of who I really am. So then you are really disagreeing with God. God is not your God. You are your God. And I can never relate to you the way that I was designed to relate to you, which in John 17 says, Jesus says, that'll be the proof, that'll be the proof to the world that the Father sent me, which is how, is how you relate to one another. And so we can't be a witness in the world if we can't get along. We are not giving out proof to the world. That's why the world can't see him in us because they aren't seeing proof of him through us because we can't get along. And you'll never be able to relate to one another the way that you're supposed to relate to one another if you haven't first dealt with this issue of how you feel about yourself because that's what activates into loving other people. You can't love other people if you don't love yourself. Are you guys getting this? Come on. There's so much in this, but I want to just keep going and make sure this hits you. So you and I need to come into an agreement with how he feels about me. How he feels about me is true. How I feel about me is untrue. And until I completely agree with truth, I will believe a lie, and I will manifest a lie, and I will behave a lie, and I will live a lie. Until I agree with truth. And the truth is that he loves me with the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus. The same nature, the same measure of love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus. That's exactly how he feels about me. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a lie. And once I get that cool with me, then I am no longer tripping over the stuff about you that annoys me. Everything about you that annoys me is something in me that annoys me. And if there's nothing left in me that annoys me because I love me now, then I can celebrate every nuance of you because I recognize that you're just on the same journey that I've been on, and maybe me loving you can be the second witness to the Father loving you, and that'll be the proof of the world. Come on. And maybe, and maybe that I can get you to actually agree that you too are the beloved one of Jesus. And then all of a sudden the world starts to go, you know what? The father sent Jesus. The father, well, how did John know that? How did John know that? Because there's no way that people could feel that way about each other that have so many things not in common except that they were under the control of the truth of the Holy Spirit instead of control of the logic in their mind in the world. 
Heaven is about unity coming together, not about uniformity changing to fit or to compromise. God did not want uniformity because uniformity is a counterfeit of unity. Real unity needs diversity for it to actually come together, for it to be unity. It's not unity if you agree on everything. It's unity if there's nothing in you that's nothing like me, but I'm going to embrace what's on the inside of you because God left it there, so I must need it. We've killed our witness in the world because we can't even get along with each other. We don't have a proof in the world because we can't even get along with each other. That's why it's so hard for the world to see him, because we are not showing proof in the world. Verse 15, demonstrate love to your neighbor. Verse 14, demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. Verse 15, but if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you are acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Verse 16, as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic, to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. You will, that's a promise, you will abandon those cravings of your self-life. The way that you abandon the cravings of your self-life is not through discipline or resistance. It's through yielding freely and fully to the power and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from moving free within you. Your self-life hinders the Holy Spirit from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. When you allow the Holy Spirit to come in, he hinders all the stuff, all your selfish desires, he hinders those things from dominating you. So what's going on here is that it's a craving exchange. So the answer is not to just get rid of sin or your wrong cravings and try not to do these things. That's what we've been trying to do and we've been taught for so many years and it's not working. How many of you would be honest enough to tell me, along with me, that you trying to be disciplined and resistant to, did not bring about the results of doing away with sin? But we've been taught this for so many years. The answer is not to get rid of the wrong cravings. Stop doing it. The answer is to exchange them for the right cravings. But what's the difference? If you just get rid of them, you do away with the action. You, if you're addicted to drugs or addicted to different things, pornography, whatever it is that you're addicted to, and you try to quit cold turkey, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do it. And guess what? That's self-effort. You are the one doing it. And you're still hanging out with Ishmael. The cravings for that thing is still there. And you're leaving an open door for the enemy to come back within temptations. Oh, I'm having a bad day, so I'm just going to take this hit quick. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that. You're leaving temptation, leaving an open door. And then you ask yourself, I don't understand. I keep going back to this thing. Whatever it is that has you in bondage, drugs, sex, alcohol, lust, all these things, you keep doing it, and you can't stay away from it. You can try. You can try. You can do all the work. You can try to not look. You can try to not do this and stuff, but it keeps coming back because you're leaving an open door, whereas if you exchange them, you are replacing or filling that void with something of God, not leaving an open door for the enemy to come back. And then you'll look back and say, what? I craved what? I looked for fulfillment there? 
That's crazy. We often think that it's the activity that's the sin. You may do away with the activity, but you haven't affected it until you mess with the appetite for it. And if the thoughts are still there, guess what? You're not free. You're not free. You can do away with the activity, but if you still have thoughts of it, you're not free. You're still held in bondage. Jesus didn't come to deliver you from the behavior of sin. He came to deliver you from the misidentification that causes you to be subject from the behavior of sin. So the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. And here's what, what, what we were taught. We were taught that the Holy Spirit comes to help you make it through life. Because he was our helper. So we saw him in the terms of what does a helper do? To diminish the Holy Spirit to helper is a really bad mistake. What is the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you show that picture, this is what it looks like. It's a circle that's representing a revolving glory as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that glorify one. Glorify one another. That's the picture. What are we? Body, soul, and spirit. Yes and no. Kind of. We are actually spirit, soul, and body. Okay? Elijah. Haley. Matt, can I get you up here? Zach, can I get you up here? Ethan, can I get you up here? Come over here. Uh, you can stay there, actually. I'll move this stuff out of the way. Stay over here. Oh, sorry. I thought I had one more. <laughs> Let me bring you over here. Okay, so would you guys agree? This is a full body. This is a whole body, right? Okay. When it says he, the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside us to help, he's actually the one called from the circle, from the circle, who carries you back into the circle to make you whole again. This is one full body, right? That's what he's helping you to do. He's not helping you to just make it through life because then that would be all about you. He wants you to be whole, okay? He's helping you to make your way back to the circle, and so he's helping you, carrying you back to the place from which you were originated from, spirit, soul, and body, okay? Spirit, soul, and body, right? which is the circle of the beauty and mutual fellowship of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is where you came from. You were spirit first because you were with him in the spirit first, right? Okay? And the Holy Spirit is not coming to hold your hand to help you walk through life. He's coming to escort you back into the fellowship that spawned you into existence and so that you can return to your original whole self, body, your spirit, soul, and body, Right? Let me paint this picture for you guys quick. This is, a full, this is a full body, right? You got spirit, soul, and body. This is the spirit. This is who you really are, 
truth, right? This is who you really are. This is where you came from. The inner part here is your soul, right? Your mind, your will, and emotions. This right here is your physical man, the body, right? Okay? Remember, you are spirit, soul, and body. Not body, soul, and spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. And so what's supposed to happen is your spirit, can you hold one hand, is supposed to tell your soul what to do. Okay? And then your soul is supposed to tell your body what to do. Okay? But what happens is the devil tries to get you to work in reverse, body, soul, and spirit. So what he does is he goes after your flesh, right? And he tells your flesh, cuss that person out. Your flesh, your body then tells your soul, cuss that person out. Your soul then tells your spirit, I'm fitting to cuss these people out, <laughs> right? So now your spirit is trying to argue with the soul about what you should do, Galatians 5.17, which is why the Bible says that you wrestle within yourself, Ishmael, yourself, your soul, harassing Isaac, spirit, right? But when you get saved, what happens is your spirit man looks now to Jesus. Holy Spirit has the power, has more power than the flesh, okay? So the Holy Spirit says to the spirit, don't cuss that person out, okay? The Spirit hears from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. John 16, 13, we just talked about that. The Spirit says to the Holy Spirit, listen, so the Holy Spirit just said not to cuss that person out, and so now the Spirit is influencing your mind, your will, and emotions, who, what hinder your old self-life from dominating you, Right? It hinders your old self life from dominating it. And so now my mind starts to take on the things of Christ. My will is not my will, but thy will be done. My emotions are not out of control because, I, because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So it's not that you are living out of control. It's that you are living in full control. You guys, that follow, does that make sense? So now my soul tells my flesh, you don't tell me what to do. Right? You don't tell me what to do. I do what the Spirit tells me to do, which is why the Bible says that you walk freely in the Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Galatians 5.16, what we just talked about, right? And so when, the, when you turn to Christ, the Spirit now obeys the Holy Spirit, and, the, and that's how you're supposed to operate, spirit, soul, and body. But the devil tries to get you to work in reverse, works on your flesh, tell your soul, tells your spirit, and then they wrestle back and forth because the spirit is truth. It helps and guides you into all truth, and that's why they wrestle back and forth. That's why there's a, that's why there's a wrestle inside you. Amen? Thank you, guys. Let me tell you this. You can do whatever you want to do and God will still love you. You can do whatever it is that you want to do, and God will still love you. That doesn't mean that your life wouldn't, won't suck. That just means that God will love you while your life sucks. 
God loves you, and you got to believe that. You can do whatever you want to do, and God will still love you. But if you really knew that God loved you, there's no way that you would do whatever it is that you want to do. How do you know that believing you are loved by the Father has really taken root inside of you? Self-love comes with it. I believe God loves me, but I just hate that I'm still, no, shh. I believe God loves me and it'll actually be idolatry for me to feel differently about me than what God does. The aim now is to not resist the cravings of your old self-life. The aim now is to yield to the right cravings of the Holy Spirit. And he will hinder your old self-life from dominating you. Not us. Because we can't. We've tried that. If you want that craving that has harassed you in the natural to stop, that craving has harassed you because that craving was there by the way of Ishmael still, still being present self-effort you trying to do it on your own strength he's still there if legalism and her offspring self-effort are removed from the camp then you are free to open yourself up wildly and just say freely and fully i yield to the life of the power of the holy spirit that brings me the cravings that hinder my old self-life from dominating me One thing you got to do is you got to know who you are in Christ. You got to know who you are in Christ because the devil doesn't want you to know who you are. It gives him power when you don't know who you are. But when you know who you are, nothing can stand in the way. You have power in Christ. Christ is in you. You, you are mighty in Christ. And you are ordained for such a time as this. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for you moving in this place. Lord, I ask that you just help us to get out of the way, to see the goodness. Help us to believe that we are loved. Help us to believe that you are a good, good Father. Help us to step out of the way from our own selfish selfish ambitions, our own self-life, the things that hinder the Holy Spirit from coming in and dwelling with inside of us. Holy Spirit, have your way inside of us so that we can step out of the way and, and all of our desires will just wash away because you are present here with us and they hinder our old self-life. We just invite you into our hearts so that we have this peace within us. As we are operating in the world, operating, operating out of our own selfish desires, we are not having, we don't have peace. We are wrestling. I ask for peace right now in the name of Jesus. Come and have your way in these people here this morning, this afternoon, in this evening, and the rest of the week. Encourage us to get in the word and seek a relationship with you all week long, not just here on Sundays. We are all tabernacles of you, God. You dwell with inside of us. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.